Welcome to the fifth anniversary season of the Tyrrell Port Podcast, celebrating five years of providing an honest fan's opinion on all things going on with the San Jose Sharks and San Jose Barracuda. As always, everything you hear on the show is completely 100% my opinion and not affiliated with either team. And all let's say is a happy anniversary to us and on with the show. Welcome to episode 6 of the 5th anniversary of the Terrible Podcast. <laughs> oh, this, this is actually a bit of a weird intro because normally um, I don't like to record the intros until a couple of days before I'm going to definitely publish the show so that I can give you a little bit of flavour about how the, the past month I'm about to look back on has gone down and give you a little bit I was going to tease you about what's coming up before, um, during the show, like, hold on, um, but obviously, given how, <laughs> given how I'm basically going to be away for a good portion of the month, um, actually at the action, I thought, well, let's not have too much work to do when we get back, really. Let's do it. So, so I'm literally at, I'm literally recorded intro um, before our very first game of the month. So like I said, I've got it out of the way now, and don't have to worry about it when we get uh, when we get back. Um, so yeah, but it's just been this month only, of course. I explained it all on the last show. So go listen back, listen to that, and you can understand why. Um, yeah. So it's going to be a show of two halves. So the first, because half of the sh- today of the show, I managed to record before flying out and the half of, and the second half of it will be when we're flowing back. So you so so um so in fact uh, the look the first half of the look backs and our little middle section which we're gonna have to look back on the actual Oscar weekend. That's all been recorded before um I flew out and so from Kuda Corner everything else is from when I got back. So from Kuda Corner, if you hear my voice getting a little bit hearse it's because the jet lag is still roaming wild, alright? So just bear with me for this, <laughs> for this month, okay? But it's, it's, you actually guys know it, it, it's worth it. And of course, this would have been the second time this month you, we would have got together. Because obviously, before this show, we would have released our little bonus episode. Looking back on that wonderful trip of the whole. Uh, so go listen to that if you haven't already done so. Um... And you can judge how like that was but that. Because <laughs> that I would literally would have done literally the week we got back. So that probably will be very hurt. But that's what I said, yeah. So word of warning for this month's edition. Half of it going to be as buoyant as normal. And probably, probably after we get to the Corner, um, it might, things might get a bit hurt. But you see, it's like a So I'll mind one more time. So the first half of this show, so the, this intro, the first half of the lookbacks, and our little middle section we've got for this month to look back on the Ulster weekend. That's all been done and recorded before I flew out. And then from Kuda Caller onwards, 
it's since I come back, so bear in mind for Google that it might be a bit sort of dead laggy, but you're gonna have to bear with. Speaking of Cuda Corner, just before we get started, that is also going to be the focus on this edition of the Teal Lane. We're going to look back on that segment as a whole as we continue to celebrate our wonderful fifth anniversary of the show. So, should we get started with the buoyant part of the show, shall we? And work our way along. Alright, it's time to begin our look backs on the month of February. <laughs> so, of course, this is the tail end of the eight-game uh, road trip that we started at the end of last month. But can you really count this as just picking up where we left off when technically um, in between the two junctions we had obviously the All-Star... Uh, weekend we obviously had our bye week um so i suppose nah it's kind of two it's kind of one road trip it's split to two halves um with that also weekend sandwich nicely <laughs> uh, and speaking of the florida bye we um start our look our look, our look back in florida as we have the traditional well it's not the traditional back-to-back florida matchup but this year um, it wasn't about the back, it was the, the drain best between the two games, but anyway, let's kick it off. So, February the 7th, <gasps> Sharks 4, Lightning 3 in overtime! Oh my god, my god, my god, my god, my god, my god! When has, was the last time we managed to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning? Wow. This is this year's regular season has been interesting because it hasn't been completely one-sided as these matchups normally are. But uh but oh my god. Now literally after a mess of a first period, I'm not sugar cookie here, it was a literal well mess that first period. The Sharks really should have got a grip on that. Because to me, all three lightning goals scored in those in that first period. I think they were a bit, they were a bit too, they were a bit easy goals for goals. Um, they should should not have been scored on. Um, should have done better there. But oh my, did the tables turn in that second period? Now, despite a lack of discipline, resulted in multiple trips to the penalty box. Um, I've lost count how many times it was. Was it what five, six? I've lost count. But why that was really, really clever. That's as they did. And this is probably what helped them to not get so many power plays scored on. No, you know, I mean, conceding power, power, um, goals on, on the pedicle. Uh, that's what I meant to say. Um, what I thought they cleverly did here is they managed to limit the amount of control the Lightning had with the puck um, on, the on the power play. So... Lightning, whilst they were getting all these opportunities to go on the advantage, they weren't getting the shots they needed because we just kept control of that puck. Oh my. TMI, Eric Colson just combined for goals here to stump Tampa Bay and snap their home winning streak. And could see the impressive years in teal. Yeah, Tampa Bay coming to this game had a very healthy uh, win streak on home soil. 
Um, and so yeah, so great to snap that in, but oh, in stunning fashion. Wow, that is one of the highlights of the season. Ooh. All right, so we move on to February the 9th now, and the complete opposite. 4-1 Panthers win. And the Sharks had a much better start than the last game. Um, you know, Axe had a bar bar, I've got the scoring to a good start. And and they had really great control of the puck. Um, then came the middle frame, and you know how it goes. Middle frame, not great one for Um, and they gave up just too many t- turnovers, and the Panthers really capitalised on those, and they, and that really helped to gather the momentum, which they carried into the third. Um, Sharks come back at Hems just just were not on point this time, as they really did squander that four minute power play. Uh, coughing up not one but two empty nets, and I just don't get why did David Quinn not go for the gamble of I think I've talked about this on a recent um, episode this season where I've seen in, in across the league other teams when they're in this situation uh, go for the gamble and pull the netminder crank which obviously creates a six on four opportunity um, but they go for the gamble and it has paid off why did we not fit okay it's a four man advantage if you score within the first two minutes, you stay on the power play. Why not pull the net miner and run the risk? Because um, the net result was we gave up empty net goals regardless, but they would have been less of a problem if it was done because we did the gamble rather than just oh no, we just couldn't, we just couldn't manage the puck properly. Oh, yeah. Power play. Oh god, it's not been good, has it? Oh yeah, has it not? All right. So we get to February the twelfth. Um, for a lot of people, Super Bowl Sunday. We won't we won't go into my themes about that and how the NHL needs to com- to accommodate for that. That we, we, we won't go into that. Um, all the games in the NHL happened really, really early. They were like they were all matinees. I'm like, really? Does the Super Bowl really run that? Because uh. You don't have other sport leagues to step aside where it's the Stanley Cup final in June. And you certainly don't have any other sports leagues step aside where it's the World Series in October. So why have we got to step aside for the Super Bowl in February? Makes no sense. Plus, I'm not a football fan, so, I'm, so I've got more reasons to be angry about it. But anyway, first of two matinee games against the Washington Capitals. The second, of course, will be on my last day. Of my trip, which of course also is a double header because after that I've got to head straight to Dexy Arena. So Washington Capitals, who's listening on that game, don't they go to overtime? Because I won't be able to stick around. Anyway, a four-one victory over the Capitals, and the first of, as I mentioned, two matchup games between the Capitals this year. As the Sharks continue this weird trend we have with the Washington Capitals, which I've noticed over the last few years, especially more across our five years of doing the show, is for this record series, I tend to notice that the road team always seems to get the win. So the Sharks, so what I mean by that is, the Sharks tend to do really, really well in Capital One Arena, and the Capitals tend to do well at SAP. It's been quite a while since the home teams managed to get a win over their, their opponent in this series. So um, that'd be something to keep an eye out for when I'm there in just a few weeks when I'm going to be there. So that's something to keep an eye on. 
Um, yeah, so, but... Despite the early start, the Sharks just really just um, did so well. They managed to find a leg straight away. Uh, Eric Carlson, he had three points in this game. Um, so he had a goal and uh, two assists he picked up. Um, Tomas Hurtle, he got back, back on form. Uh, fine. Well, find the net for the first time in quite a while. Um, in a game where Zaze's net mining... Uh, got severely put to the test after uh, the injury to Capo uh, Kakenlin. Um, yes, but luckily the shot might just stay away with the win. So, Valentine's Day, no love lost between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the San Jose Sharks. And after the, oh my, the bombing match at the last time, you were hoping to see tightening up. Well, uh, right. I've got one big problem here. For this 3-1 loss. Why did our coach David Quinn on Pittsburgh's opening goal not challenge that? It was clearly blatant goaltender interference. And yet what did he do? Stand back and did nothing. <sighs> Alright. Challenge it. You know. It was the first. It was literally like the opening moment of the first period. So challenge it. You know. If you, take a, if you have to take a penalty as a net result, because it doesn't go our way, then fine, take the penalty. If right, if this had, if this had happened in the closing moments of the of the of the game, so towards the regulation, then I probably would have would be like, okay, well then fair dudes, because you don't want to take a penalty when you're down a goal, um, and there's not much time left. But this wasn't. This was very very early on in the first period. Still lots of hockey to be played. So, why not challenge it, take the risk, if it, does, if it goes our way, great, we can just reset. If not, we'll then just take the penalty. But that, for me, I felt really just played on the mindset throughout the rest of the game, because I just could not find a way through at all, because we just got then got outmaneuvered and outmanned by the Penguins. Um, with ODT and Myers' goal, you know, caused for celebration, as he could... He used to make a waves on and of course off the ice, but just uh, not really, it just really stings. It really does. And this one stings even more because Bebby the 16th and oh, <laughs> we were oh god, we were what. How many seconds away from potentially having the opportunity for the first time ever to win a regular season series against the Golden Brats and it slips through our fins? I'm like, oh, because we were the bad team. We were the bad team in this game. It was a 2 1 win for the Golden Knights, but we were the bad team. Vegas can't brag about that. Okay. Yes, they can say it's no win for them, but Vegas, you can't brag about that because we were the better team. We we played better than you, and yet we come away with nothing. <sighs> just ugh. a really devastating blow in a game that just promised so much, especially for Capo Kakalin, because he managed to play exceptionally well. 
doing what Jace Rabbit has done really, really great so, uh, um, in his time in the net, and that is just giving the sh keeping the Sharks firmly in the game and an opportunity to win the game. But like with Tampa, discipline was lost as Vegas had seven, seven opportunities on the power power play to strike. And they didn't. Okay, the penalty was great, but that's because you did what you did with in Tampa. You limited your opponent's opportunity to have puck possession and get the shots. But, oh. But that late goal, and my heart literally sank when that late goal went in. It also wasn't helpful that it was coming towards 6am in the morning here in, Eng in England. But literally, when that late goal went in, my heart just sank. Because there was no way back. There was not enough. There was not enough time left on the clock. Um, but yeah, it, my heart literally sank because we because this was the third of four matchups. Um, Vegas won the first one um, back in October, and then we won the second one in very convincing fashion um, in November. So the series was tied at one one. So we had the opportunity for the first time ever in uh, to be in a position going to that last matchup where we could potentially win the regular season series for the first time ever. Um, and wouldn't that be something to brag about? But sadly, no. Vegas uh, holds that 2-1. And all we can do is, um, the best we could do now is... Uh, it's tired, but yeah, ugh, but uh, but my heart literally when that went in, my heart sank because because I just felt oh my god, there's no way back from that. It's just it was just it was a really late late goal. I can't remember the um the time of the goal, but I know it was a very very late in the in regulation. Uh, there was not enough time left on the clock to try and. Uh, get um, the puck into Vegas' zone and try and have a go f go for it, but uh, yeah, a really, really uh, just just another another heartbreaker to add there. Uh, it would have been so good to have got another win over Vegas. I mean, there's still an opportunity to come up because, like I said, there is there is one more matchup um, at the end of next month. But oh, but with that, all we can all we can do is just tie it, tie the series, rather than potentially win it, which is what we would have had to do. Oh, that just ah, oh, such a heartbreaker. Not something you are you are have to try and go to bed on, especially when it was over here coming up to six in the morning. But uh oh, a real blow, a real real, a real blow, a real blow. Okay, so that concludes the first part of the lookbacks. Uh, <laughs> there we go. So I think there's only one. Oh, there's two. There's two games. There's two more games to cover, and then the rest of it, of course, my trip. So yeah, yeah, but yeah. So uh, so, about, so yeah. So actually, the second half of the lookback will be the first, the the bulk of the homestand. So we'll be on some. So that's gonna be yeah. Uh, Good, um, but of course, obviously, uh, that will be recorded after I come back. So that's uh, the second. So as, as I've already mentioned at the start of the show, huh? That the um, the second half of the show is going to be very probably jet laggy. But I've already warned about that. But um, yeah. So yeah. But uh, but uh, 
Okay, so that concludes the first part of the lockbacks. Obviously, we're going to do things a little, little bit differently now when we come back because, um, like I said, we've ditched the West Watch for this month only. So on our next show, it will when we look back on the month of March, it will return. Um, but obviously, for this month, we ditched it, and so we're going to take a quick pause, and then when we come back, we're going to relive all the fun and thrills of the 2023 All-Star Weekend from FLA Live Arena in Florida. Alright, so as I mentioned on the last show, we are ditching the West Watch just for this, but we'll be back on the next show, don't worry. Um, <clears throat> And instead, we're going to have a little recap of everything that went down in South Florida at this year's All-Star Weekend, of course, which took place at FLA Live Arena, the home of the Florida Panthers. <coughs> they finally got to host the event in the end. <laughs> Just had to wait a little bit longer than, than originally uh, planned. So, of course, you remember the Panthers were originally awarded the 2021 All-Star Weekend. Of course, we all know. Covid hit, um, and of course, one of the reasons why they didn't get last year's All Star Weekend um, was because originally we were supposed to be on Olympic break. Well, I was, anyways. Um, so Vegas got chosen to try and limit the amount of travel that any players at the All Star Weekend who are on Olympic squad would need to have done to get to Beijing. But of course, that didn't happen. Um, it's a shame because you missed out on a lovely Olympics. I can tell you from la from la last year. Anyway, so <clears throat> yes, so Florida finally gets to host the All Star Weekend, and for me, oh my god, my first All Star Weekend since twenty twenty. Wow, it felt like ages since the last seeing All Star Weekend. Because of course, obviously, it was last year's All Star Weekend. I did not watch, not because of who it was at and who was hosting it. But because servers had priorities, and for me, those priorities last year were, of course, the Winter Olympics themselves. So, <clears throat> so yeah, so a big deal for me because it is my first All-Star game since 2020. So, let's relive all the fun and games, shall we? Speed of, with fun and games, we'll start with the skills competition. Which of course was held on the 3rd of February. So this year we had uh, the Axie Shooting, the Breakaway Challenge, Fastest Skater, and Hardest Shot all return. And replacing the Save Street event was a new netminder competition called the Tendy Tandem. I'd rather have the Save Street back if, we, if I'm honest. Uh, it featured both netminders from each division. And so the event split the net miners from each division with one shooting across the ice to score a goal on net and the other, uh, depending on the points uh, earned by the other net miner, then face one, two or three players in a breakaway shootout, which included members of the women's Canadian and American national hockey teams. Team Canada standout Sarah Nurse scored a blistering shot against New York Rangers in that minder. Igor Shiskanin. But the women, the winners of the challenge were for that were Central Division's UC Soros and Connor Hellebuck. 
Opening National Presidents and Winnipeg Jets, respectively, uh, taking 13 points, representing the Central Division. Now, we also saw this year the skills competition go outdoors. So, we had two events um, in specific to Florida locations. So, we had the Splash Shot event, which took place on a Fort Lauderdale Beach and featured players hitting pucks at targets. If all targets were hit, then the player could attempt to hit a puck at a dunk tank, trying to dunk an opponent. The winners of that challenge were Kael McCarr and Mika Rantanen of the Carl Avalanche for the Central Division, knocking down all of their targets in 18.7 seconds. And we had Pitch and Puck, which took place at Plantum Preserve Golf Course and Club in Plantum, Florida. The event had players on a par 4 golf hole attempting to sink a puck in the hole. And the winner of that challenge was Nick Suzuki of the Montreal Canadiens for the Atlantic who finished with a birdie. Let me see if I can get the results of the, <coughs> of the other skills competitions. Uh, so, bear with me two seconds. Right, okay. First skater went to... Andrei Spetchikov of the Carolina Hurricanes for the Metropolitan Division, facing off against Kevin Fiella from the Pacific Division. So in that, that event, we had two rounds in the top two events. We had... Andre Spetschkopf and Kevin Pierre as a finalist, but also from joining them was Chandler Stevenson yeah, for the Vegas Golden Knights, who clocked 14.191 seconds. We had Kel McCarthy, the Carla Avalanche, who had a little stumble, so that basically saw him out at 22.304 seconds. And we had Dylan Larkin, um, who had 14.558 seconds on the Detroit Red Wings. Um, and the two qualifiers, all they were close. So Fiera qualified with 13.996 seconds and Spetschkov with 13.757 seconds. Then in the final, um, Fiera clocked it at 14.114 seconds, but Spetschkov took it at 13.699 seconds for the Metropolitan. Hardest shot. The winner of that was... Elas Pettersson of the Vancouver Canucks, that's one Team Pacific, he clocked in the highest highest score of 103.2 miles per hour. Uh, the other competitors in that were Rasmus Darlene of the Buffalo Sabres for Atlantic Vision, clocking at 102.3 miles per hour. Josh Morrissey for the Winnipeg Jets for Team Central, clocking at 96.7 miles per hour. Seth Jones of Chicago Blackhawks for the Central Division, clocking at 94.7 miles per hour. Max Ovechkin for the Washington Capitals and the Metropolitan Division clocked 95.1 miles per hour. So that was a win for the Pacific Division. 
We had a shock result in the Axie shooting. I so think Carl McDavid still beat uh, Kadri in, this, in that semi-final. Anyway, two rounds. The first round saw Kadri, McDavid, Nelson and Panarin or Abans. Um, other competitors in that were Alexander Barker, Leon Dreisaitl. Both had bad, bad shots nights on that challenge. Kevin Hayes. Jack Hughes, Nikita Kudrov, and Vladimir Tarasenko. And what a bunch of files you had. You had... I don't know if you could have wrote it. It would have been better. You had the... Two New York players and the two Battle of Alberta players go against each other. So, the, so Nelson advanced uh, beating Panarin. And Cantry advanced beating McDavid. But I think McDavid still got it. I think it was McDavid. I mean, Brock Nelson for the Islanders took it, took it in the final beating country there, so that's a win for the Metropolitan Division. And the team up of Crosby and Ovechkin won the Breakaway Challenge. Getting the top score. The other competitors in that were Mitchell Marple and Toronto Maple Leaf, all Atlantic, the other, the other competitors. This is a dominated Eastern Conference Challenge. Mitchell Marple and Toronto. They passed up for Boston and Matthew Kachuk for the Florida Panthers. And that is the result of all the skills competitions. So let's now move on to the games themselves. Interestingly, this year we didn't have any captains. We had no captains. Nothing interesting. Oh, one more thing I should say about the skills competition is uh, for this year at the skills competition, all the players competing wore their reverse retro jerseys. So amazing to see see them all um the project that really has taken off this season it really has it's taken up a lot better than it did did in its first run in the 2020 2021 season um of course there was one reverse special jersey missing the kraken anyway we'll work on that all right we'll move on to the game themselves so we had no captains this year which is in interesting um i'll remind you guys that this year we had a little bit of a switch up on both on who got on the um, on the boating, which I thought was quite good. Um, so with the twenty twenty three game, the player selection process um, was conducted in two stages. On during the fifth, the Leeds Department of Hockey Operations selected thirty two players, one for each team. But of course, injuries scuppered that hopes up. Uh, the main twelve players were decided by a fan boat, which ran from January the fifth all the way through to January the seventeenth, with fans across the world playing in three players, two skaters, and what netminder for each division. And on January 11th, the head coaches were announced, chosen from the team in each division with the highest points percentage through January the 11th. So, all the league leaders at that point, except for one. Because <laughs> you had the head coaches of the Boston Bruins, Callow Hurricanes and Dallas Stars, who all going into All-Star break were at the top of their divisions. But the coach for Team Pacific was Vegas's coach. Now, of course, at the time of that, of the coach's announcement, Vegas were at the top, sitting pretty. But, um, there's been a little bit of a fight back since then. And now, at the top of the, of the, of the division, we have the Kraken! No, no joke, go look at, it, look at the standings page. No, the Krakens are actually at the top of the, of, of the division right now. It's mad, I know. Farming, let's keep it rolling. But, yeah, so, awkward! 
Um, okay, so you know how this tournament works. Unfortunately, we went back to the, the classic case of both the Pacific Best Central, Atlantic Best Metropolitan, the semi-finals. For God's sake, shake it up! And also, with those jerseys, how if we were supposed to tell the two divisions apart? Let me get let me get the jersey bit out of the way. I mean, honestly, those jerseys were terrible, absolutely terrible this year. Did, how are they supposed to represent Florida? I mean, so they got so the UFO got unveiled on January nineteenth when the remaining rosters were spots were being declared, and for the first time since two thousand and nine, conference logos were featured on the jersey crests, with each player suspected team logo on the left. Sh- on the, on the left shoulder and the all-star game leg on the right shoulder. And the jerseys were part of the Lisa Burst retro program, so they're based off the same design as those used from 1994 to 1997. Um, but I just don't get how are they supposed to represent the Florida Panthers? I mean, you know me, in my 14 years of, of being in the NHL, I always look at the all-star jerseys and go, eh, eh. The only time I didn't do that was, of course, four years ago when we hosted it in 2019. They were gorgeous. Honestly. But how are we supposed to tell, A, that represents Florida Panthers, and B, how are we supposed to tell which division was which? Why can we not just have team... Lots of not team. Why can't we have division jerseys instead? If you bother to make division logos for the graph for the gra- in-game graphics, then you could at least bother to do t- division jerseys. That's what we want next year in Toronto: division jerseys. Goodness sake, it's pathetic. Right, so let's go through these, shall we? So game one was Team Pacific taking on Team Central. Um, a very close matchup. Now, this is, of course, this is the seventh um, All-Star Weekend to see this current three-on-three uh, tournament used. And we've yet to have a couple of... Right, we've yet to have a, had, had a couple of things in this in this format. One of those, um, obviously, is the central to team not winning. So we've yet to see them win. They've not won it yet. <laughs> Yes, sent. Well, I think is this is this the third tournament in a row now that team, or maybe no, the second tournament in a row that team Central dominated over Team Pacific in the first. I'm trying to remember. Did they go through in 2020? No, I don't think they did. I think we were. Oh God, this is real test. Anyways, um, yeah, Team Central are not really that good. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was a really close. We've not had Team Central win. We'd yet to have a team win on home soil, but of course that would all change when we get to the final in a little moment. And um, we've yet to have the penalty shootout, which of course is what would happen if in the event of a tie at the end of 20 minutes of play. Um, but yeah, so... This first, now, the, now these games, they can only be very, very high scoring, but interestingly, this first... First game between our Western Conference divisions, 
very tight affair. Very tight affair. Very close encounter. And maybe with a little bit extra time. Maybe. Just maybe. Anyway. So, let's go through the, 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 the scoring summary. So, uh, three. So, so, first half. We're going to call them half because it's not periods. It's only t- if you're new to this, it's two 10-minute halves, so 20 minutes in total. And if, and it's of course, there's a big if, if in the event of a tie at the end of those two halves, we then have to go to a penalty shootout to declare the winner. Right, so first half. McDavid for Team Pacifics gets the first goal at, um, at 3.48 to tie up uh, the first goal of the game, which came for Team Central at 3.15. Uh, courtesy of, of McKinnon. So McKinnon got the first goal at 3.15 and then McDavid tied it up a couple of seconds later at 3.48. That's how quick this the action can be at this in these all-star weekends. Um, at 6.52, uh, Jones takes the two at 2-1 for Central. Um, less than a minute later, Pettersson uh, at 7.55 gets, makes it tied up 2-2, but the Central would find one more for the end of the half at 8. 38 courtesy of McKinnon. Then the second period half, 80 seconds in, Keller makes it 4 2, so gives the central a cushion. It's a fuck, but then we pull it back to with 1. Although, sorry, then they make it 5 2, so stretch lead at 5 32 courtesy of Tara Rosinko. Then we get it put into. Uh, thanks to Carlson, 727, so the Sharks All-Star gets on the board. Jenny Baker's got a nice All-Star get on the board. Um, um, no, he didn't. And also, did LA, did any LA Kings All-Stars get on the board? Uh, uh, no, you didn't. That was, it was Kevin Fiala that cocked it up for us. Uh, but the last goal was come for Keller, 1,408 to sort of doubt any chances of the, com- of the comeback. Being complete ASO in the second half, so that would be a 6 4 decider for Team Central. Right, so then the Eastern Conference will face off in the second game. More like your typical All Star action here, as we had 10 6 Atlantic. So, Kachuk at 36 seconds gets the first goal to gain the first half. Uh, and at 4.08, the Atlantic gets a 2 nearly thanks to Larkin. The Metropolitan does tie it though, when going to get two goals in 20 seconds apart, both from Goodrow. This first came at 5.20 to make it 2 1 Atlantic, then the second to tie it at 5.40. And then the Metropolitan get, got a brief lead thanks to Crosby at 6.19. But 40 seconds later, 6.59, Kachok ties it back up again. And then Suzuki at 7.35 the first half gives the Atlantic the 4-3 f- lead going to the second half. And that's when the guns went blazing. Godra got his hat-trick in the second half. 25 seconds in to tie it 4-4. And then the Metropolitan got another brief lead again thanks to Crosby at 1.58. But then the... And they even then extended it thanks to Ovechki at 2.21. But after that, it was all Atlantic. 3 for 89, Kachuk. 4 for 81, Kucherov. 
Spy Betty Bond Suzuki, Spy 49, uh, 6.9, sorry, Kachok, 9 minutes, Larkin, 9.47, past the knock. 10, 6, Atlantic Division. So, that sets up Central Division, Atlantic Division. First time these two teams meet in the finals, so you got neither side has yet, well, I had to double check this, because I thought the Atlantic had won one. Apparently not, so, anyway. So, we're going to have a first time winner. And it would be the Atlantic Division. And that would mean that for the first time ever in this tournament, um, the home side would take the victory. It's never happened before. Um, so this is the first. So, 7-5 in favour of the Atlantic Division. Let's go. And really, it was kind of all Atlantic. This may look like a close score, but really, the Central Division didn't really show up until the final two minutes of the, of the, of the game. So... By that point, it was pretty much all said and done. So let's go for it. So the first path, all Atlantic. So nothing for the central heart at all. So 37 seconds in, Kajok. That 405, good drop. 9.17, Larkin. Then the second period, at 203, Larkin. Makes it Hortnail. Then the central vision gets on the board, courtesy of Rantanum at 409. Um, seven fourteen pass not gets on the board, and then eight fifty four you have Larkin nine seven Keller nine twenty five Darlene, and then the last two goals nine thirty nine McKinnon nine fifty two Macar made things a bit interesting, but really no, it was all she it was all done well before that bizarre because the game because the game did not. Build that close despite the score like at all. But like I said the center didn't, didn't show up until like the literally the last two minutes. There you go. So Atlantic Division takes the takes the victory. So that's the first time the Atlantic Division has won at uh, the Ulster Weekend under this format. And of course as I mentioned it's also the very first time ever that uh the um home team, so in this case the Atlantic Division has won. And Atlanta will get an opportunity to defend that next year. Because next year we are going to Toronto. Mm -hmm. So put this in your diaries now. February the 2nd and February the 3rd. Next uh, 2024 in Toronto. Um, it's been quite a while since we've been to the Canadian team. I had to look it up when we last had a Canadian team. Host it. It's the first time since 2012 when Ottawa uh, hosted it. The Canadian team has been awarded the game, and it's going to be Toronto's ninth time hosting uh, the All Star game. Um, and it's their most recent since the turn of the millennium in 2000. That was the last time Toronto hosted the all-star weekend so when everyone was all celebrating this wonderful new millennium all the fun it can bring then because the oh, lockouts turned out <laughs> yeah so next year toronto but we've got one two more little things to do before we close the book on florida 2023 now of course talk about the mascot showdown the highlight of everybody's all-star weekend forget the players we got to see what the mascots are up to and from their socials, they really had embraced it this year. It's going to be very interesting to see how they cope with Toronto next year. 
Yeah. But they were already embracing that Southern Florida sunshine. Even Louis. Who knew Louis could rock his Hawaiian shirts and sunglasses? <laughs> there was a couple of them with their sunglasses trying to outdo each other who got the best shades. Thing that had to go to Finn. <laughs> Thunderbug, you're used to it, so you don't, so unfortunately you can't win, but I think Finn had the best shades. Um, and also, unfortunately, there were some streaking going on. Yes. Some of the if, you, if you went down to the South Florida beach over the weekend, you would have got a bit of a nasty surprise. Nope, not a teddy bear's picnic with Louis Carlson and B B Blades. Nope. Gritty and J-Double, Naughty, Tommy Hawk, all streaking. Dirty animals, really they are. Some poor boy in his little t-shirt saying, don't bother me, I'm a local. <laughs> poor boy, he all on his own. No all-star to help him work his way around it. Oh, the poor thing. You'll get used to it, boy. You'll get a hang of it eventually. One day you'll have, you'll be, you'll be hosting it yourself, so. <laughs> oh, of course, our Sharky getting in all the fun as well. Um... He, unfortunately, Sharky had basically had to act as Bernie's chaperone because Bernie just kept running about making sand pits and digging sand pits up. It's like, oh dear. Well, they, they had lots of fun, and of course, obviously the uh, the mascot showed up, which of course has been running since twenty fifteen. This year, we knew it was going to happen eventually. The Eastern Commerce would, re would regain the crown, and this year they did. Uh, regain the crowd. The crowd. We were a mess in that in that All Star game. We were an absolute mess. We really were. What was it? Eight four in the end for the East in that All Star game. I think it might have been. Oh dear, dear, dear. Um. So yeah. So most of our mascot did, of course, go to Stanley C. Panther. So well done to you. <laughs> so Carlton the Bear. No pressure for you next year, mate. Because um. That award has always gone to the to the home team's mascot, so no precious Carlton. <laughs> Although we were kind of doomed on the offset, weren't we, when the league decided to make Chance our captain for the second year in a row? Did they learn nothing from last year? He was a terrible captain last year, from what I saw. Oh, but apparently, oh dear, oh dear. Why could they not just make Boy the captain? Would be a great thing to have done, especially how. When we hosted it, that was saying your gritty uh, droid, and they made him captain the East. He still didn't win, but at least he was a better captain than probably what somebody else could have been. So why couldn't Boy been chosen as our captain? You know, make him, make him feel welcome. You know. Uh, anyway, no. So there you go. So that's so there we go. So that is all that went down at the All Star Weekend, twenty twenty three. Uh, it kind of felt weird this year how it was how it was scheduled because uh, for a lot of teams they played about what six well like more like a third of the way through, three, not a third, more like three quarters of the way through, rather than the halfway. Because it's supposed to be like the unofficial halfway mark of the of the season. Um, but for a lot of teams this year, and we are wider, but I suppose you can argue we did obviously start the year in Prague. Um, but it just feels like it's like for a lot of teams they haven't they haven't really got many, that many games left now that we now that we're back in 
running. But anyways, oh, anyways, hmm. So, so thank you, Florida. And uh, next year, we're going back to Canada for the first time in 24 years. It might have felt a, lot, felt a long time since Karak had a last hosted, but honestly, Toronto, those years have actually flown by. So, uh, <laughs> and don't get me started on their on their half time entertainment. Don't, just don't. Oh dear. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that is a little round of all that happened at the 2023 NHL All Star Weekend in South Florida. Now time for Kuda Corner. We'll be looking back on the month of February for the Barracuda. Oh, tricky month to sort of... As I said, really, there was a lot of bonus hockey, maybe a bit too much bonus hockey, but this time of the um, of the year now, especially getting towards that, oh, quite close. Oh, it's going to be just a long stretch, really, but it's still doable, but it's going to need a massive, massive, big remaining... Two months of the of the regular season. Okay, so obviously for the last two games of this cooler quarter, I actually um was in San Jose when they were going down. They were both road games, but I was obviously there, so I didn't make following the game a, a little bit easier. But were they stressful? Go at the end though. Okay, but we start uh, with a back to back, <laughs> a very bizarre back to back with the Abbots Food Canucks. <laughs> I'll tell you why it's odd, because this back-to-back -back happened before the AHL Classic in, uh, in uh, Larbles. It was our last two games before the AHL Classic. I thought it was a bit weird given the, the, um, the scheduling of the AHL Classic. I thought it was a bit weird we had games before them. And then put <laughs> Where, of course, Larble, um, Friday game to host it. Hopefully next season we won't have this situation, because obviously we're hosting it next year in our backyard. So hopefully we won't, well, certainly there won't be a situation where we have games before it. <laughs> But a bit, a bit weird how we had two games and then we have the actual Classic in Larbor, finally in Larbor, because obviously it's been, oh my God, it's been hard work for Larbor, but they finally got it. Because uh, you remember, um, COVID really has mocked up Larbor getting this actual Classic. I mean, they were, they, they, the actual, well, surprisingly, the actual Classic in 2020 did still go ahead. And then Larbor was awarded the 2021 actual Classic. That, of course, got cancelled due to COVID and the bizarre and strange season we had for the HL that year. It was, then they rescheduled it for last season, so 2022. That, again, did not go ahead for COVID. And not long after that, it was announced that we were going to give a given 2024. Um, and then it's basically that Lovell would host it in 2023. So they have now officially finally got around to it. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. So we'll focus this back to back. So... First game, February the 3rd, 3-2 Canucks. Uh, the Barracuda actually led 2-1 going into that final period. On, uh, But the Abbotsford Canucks would score two unanswered goals to steal the 3-2 win. Uh, the loss was the Barracuda's first this season when leading after 40 minutes. In the first, Andrew Gazzino directed in a Martin Kaut pass from atop the crease at 6.24 to break the ice. Then the Canucks would answer back as Nias Hoglander uh, swung a pass to a training Christian Wallini 
who fired the puck into a wide open net on an odd man rush at 9.18. At 11.03, Adam Rafka notched his third goal in his last two games by winning a, by wiring, sorry, a left wing pull of the trigger pass Jake Cusky at 11.03. In the second, each team would put 11 shots on net, but the game would remain 2-1 in favour of Yokuda. At the 33-53 mark of the game, Vasily Podkuskin ran into Kuski on a back check, leading to the Canucks starting alternate leaving the game due to injury. Artyas Silvas would work the final 6-7 of the period, stopping the only shot he faced. In the third, the Canucks would manage to tie the game, where Niels Amon Snuck in a partial breakaway shot off the crossbar and in at 5.15. At 4-24 on its third power play period, Abbotsford would take its first lead when Hoglander tipped in a Wooler pilot shot. Silas would turn aside all 11 shots he faced in the third as the Canucks made it back-to-back wins to begin its road trip. Silas picked up the win. Eerily, he stopped all 12 shots he faced, including the three against the Barracuda. Uh, Dell suffered his second consecutive loss, allowing three goals on 25 shots, and is now own three versus Abbotsford. 24 hours later, February the 4th, and the same result 3 2 Canucks in regulation time. Uh, the Barracuda again led twice, uh, but couldn't pull it away. Yui got three goals in the second period and falling 3 2 to the Abbotsford Canucks. In the first, Derek Polo would open the scoring as he beat Artius Silos from the high slot while on the power play. On the goal, William Eklund picked up an assist to extend his point streak to seven games. The 1 0 lead would hold up after a period uh, as the Barracuda killed off all four Canucks power play opportunities. Just 30 seconds into the second period, Abbotsford levels the scoring. Uh, Tristan Nielsen swiped a closer range shot. Exactly five minutes later, the Cuda would recapture that lead as Kyle Crisco fired him. Max Marino rebound. At a five, Lewis Carlson tied the score and then Vincent Arsenal potted a back post pass from Matt Afram at 16.02 as the Canucks took their first lead. In the third, the did outshot the Canucks 12-8 but failed to tie the score, falling 3-2. Silas picked up his, the win by making 28 saves, improving to four against Barracuda. Strauss' man suffered the loss, allowing three goals on 33 shots. Okay, so also we have the actual Classic. Then we come back from the actual Classic for a back-to-back as the Wranglers make their only appearances to Texas Arena. Uh, it's been quite a while since we've seen the Wranglers because... Um, uh, they're the ones we've seen less of uh, in the division this year. Uh, we saw the Wranglers twice back in November in Scotiabank, which of course is also the host of the Calgary Flames, their parents. Um, and the Wranglers will be making their two load appearances at Texas Arena during this, um, this, these two back-to-backs on February the 10th and February the 11th. Uh, so not many opportunities to see the Wranglers this season. So obviously not many opportunities to try and get our first win over the Wranglers Um yeah, so February 10th, 4-1 Wranglers. I just still don't like that name. I really don't. How does Calgary taking that? Because I'm not liking it one bit. I suppose it's so aggressive. As this performance was. 
Uh, the Barracuda don't return from the AHL's All-Star breaks at Larble, um, putting 43 shots on net, uh, but but dropped 4-1 uh, to the Calgary Anglers. After that, the Barracuda are now 0-3 against Calgary and have fallen in four in a row. Despite outshooting the Anglers 17-9 that first frame, uh, Calgary notched the only goal uh, when Matt Phillips swiped in a Ben Jones breakaway rebound at 4-37. In the second, Jones would add to the Wranglers' lead by wiring a slap shot past Arundel's blocker from atop the left circle. And up 2-0, the Wranglers would take a 3 0 lead when Jeremy Hoyer potted his first in his last 17 games, ripping a close-range shot over Dell's right shoulder. Just 2-1 into the third period, Phillips would spring Radim Zorana on a breakaway and the Calgary forward would go backhand to forehand to make it 4 now. However, our all-star Thomas Bordelow would end the, sh- the shutout bid when he put a goal late at 17.40 after a failed Wranglers clear, but Calgary would go to the 4-1 win. Dustin Wolf made 42 stops to earn his AHL best 27th win, and the process improved to 11-0 against Arze. Dale suffered the loss, his third in the row, for allowing four goals on 30 shots. So the next day, well, we got a point, we got close, we got close, we really got close. Last chance this season, but so close yet so far. 5-4 Wranglers in the shutout. So, means by is by me. You always want to think about what goal can you take into next season. And clearly what those goals will be. Beat the Wranglers. Neither bomb. Uh, but the... The newbies have been really outstandingly good this year. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. It, it's so it's crazy that they and Coachella are the top two. I am most likely to finish the top two. It's it's crazy. It's so crazy. Um, but Calgary, you can maybe you can maybe justify that because they're a relocation team, whereas Coachella is an expansion team. In this league, relocation teams, as we see the last few years, tend to do a lot better find their footing. The expansion teams, but it's it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Okay, so. A Barracuda scored three goals in that third frame uh, to in front of a 3,019 crowd and they made three different deposits in the game to earn a point in a 5-4 shootout loss to the Wranglers. So, a scores first period finally gets a goal at 18.49 when Emilio Patterson poked the puck loose from under Ito McInerney's glove from a long knee left side of the net and Kevin Rooney guided it into the cage from the low slot open the scoring. Each team had a pair of power plays in the first 20 minutes and would record eight shots apiece as the Wranglers carried that one lead into the intermission. Andrew Gazzino, our captain, got Sarze on the board in the second period. He swiped in the rebound on the power play at 10.42 after Martin Kaut had swung a shot on net for the left point. Calgary snatched the lead back when Clark Bishop redirected a centering pass from Walker Dua at the 16-11 mark as Dua carried the puck down the right wing. With fifth power play tonight, Calgary would extend the lead as Adam Klasker filtered the shot past McNee from just above the crease. 33 seconds into the third, where Eklund cuts the lead down to one when he fired an Antony Colonies up feed. At 5.42, Max Barino hit Tristan Robbins with a perfect pass as he crashed the net, levelling the score at 3-3. And the process, snapping a 16-game goalless drought for the rookie. 
The tie was shorted as Durango stole the lead right back with a Peterson snipe from the slot. But once again, the Barracuda would tie it up. This time on the power play at 9.59 as Eklund weed his way through a pair of Wranglers before snapping a shot. Dick side on Daniel Schussler. In the other time, the Barracuda would take a penalty 25 seconds into the extra frame but would clear it off thanks to multiple timely blocks by defenseman Patrick Holway. After scores, O.T. behind the Barracuda would fall in the shootout after the Wranglers scored on all three opportunities. Matthew Phillips sealed it for Calgary with the third goal of the shootout. McInerney made 27 saves of their one shots in the loss, while she have achieved his first career AHL win with 29 saves on 33 shots. So, failed to beat the Wranglers this season, but that is something to work on for next year. Alright, so, February the 15th, and the first of many visits to the from the Ontario Rainies the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Oh, did we, did we get plenty of rain games in? <laughs> so that, that was what? So there's two this month, and there's at least two to report on next month. So we're seeing a lot of LA's affiliates. We definitely are. And it was a time result. 4-3 win for the Barracuda. Oh, yes. They jumped out to a two-goal lead. Uh, only to fall behind by a goal in the third period uh, before tying the score and winning 4-3 at a time against the Ontario Reign. And that snapped their five-game skit. In the first, Daniel Gushnin opened the scoring by collecting a pass off his right skate before receding to beat Kyle Peterson on the far side from between his legs. Then at 14-13, while on the power play, Kyle Christianino tipped in a Thomas Bordelow low point shot to make it 2-0 Barracuda. And they matched the season high by putting 20 shots on net in the first and took a two-goal lead into the intermission. In the second, despite outshooting the Reigns 11-7, Ontario manages to tie the game with a pair of goals. First, Jacob Murray snapped a shot past the party between Strassman at 7-0-6. And then Sam Heenos notched his first of the year by tipping a shot through the five-hole of Mark at 10-48 from atop the left circle. In the third, Leas Anderson handed Ontario Spurs a lead at 7.31 as he went far side from the right wing, beating a man under the mitt to make it 3-2 rain. But CJ Source would tie the game for Saturday from a sharp angle after receiving a feed from Ozzy Willenblatt, who found him from below the goal line. Uh, that was Source's 100th HL point of his career. The game goes third time and 2.52. Goshlin sealed the victory with a backhander past person that came right after the rookie forwards had hit the post and was turned aside by a person on a backhand move. So they outshot the rain at 41-26 in that win and both Andrew Agazino and Lucien finished with two points each. Man made 23 sets on 26 shots for his fourth win of the season. Alright, so it's a bit bizarre uh, next to you because we, we then go to Abbotsford it feels like it should be a back-to-back, but it's not a back-to-back. It's more of a... It's more of a double-header. It's more It's more of a double-header in a way, in a way really, because we had two in a row against Abbotsford, but not really back-to-back. A back-to-back is, of course, basically, you know, both both games happening on the same same day. But, uh, well, not the same day, but, but, um, 
on literally 12 hours apart from each other. <sighs> Baseball season's nearly around the corner. That's why I'm thinking it's not long till... <laughs> It's not long until opening day now, baseball season, so I'm now thinking, oh, so now my mind's not getting ready for all oh, seasons. They're putting maybe two or three times of the, times of the week. <laughs> yeah, so it's February 18th, then it's February the 20th, so a day's rest between the two, but it kind of feels like a back to back, you know, it's like not a back to back, but we'll call it a double header. So February 18th in Abbotsford, Barracuda the four, Canucks three, and the Barracuda would score three times in the third period on. Um, in Abbotsford, including two goals from CJ Sauce claiming a 4-3 get come from behind win over the Abbotsford Canucks. In the first, they opened, the Canucks opened the scoring when Weak Canuck snapped a tight point shot over the glove of Strasman at 10-11. But at 17-0, Daniel Gushin found Andrew Gazzino with a breakaway seam pass and the captain would level the scoring with a forehand-to-backhand move on Spencer Martin. In the second, the Barracuda killed off three Canucks power plays and even denied an Abbotsford penalty shot, keeping the game tied at 1-1 after 40 minutes. In the third, Agazina got called for slashing at uh, 20 seconds into the period and Niels Hoglander uh, gave the Canucks back their lead by sipping a Jack Rathbone shot in. Danny Kulnish then got called for interference and while on its first power play, with Eklund swiped in a Kyle Christian on net drive. Just 17 seconds later, Source would give the Kudo a 3 2 lead in the exact spot that Eklund had just scored. On its second power play to get the get of the period, uh, Seuss would one time a Thomas Bordelow feed home from the high slot just six seconds into the power play to give the Barracuda that fourth to advantage. Uh, Keenet scored at 9.1, but Mann would make the final 11 saves to pick up the 4 3 victory. Mann uh, has now won back to back games, making a career high 36 saves. Martin suffered the loss, allowing four goals on 26 shots. So, February the 20th, and oh my, wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow, just, just wow. A high-scoring game here. 7-2 win over the Canucks. I mean, that is wow. That is impressive. What? Just wow. The back of it, they literally just scored four times in that first period on, and... It included two goals from Eklund, and they played a dominant 72 win over the Gabbersburg Canucks. They really did. So at the 5-6 mark of the first period, Eklund opened the scoring for the Barracuda with a short breakaway sprung by a pass from Derek Polo that beat Spencer Martin by a fault. Just under two minutes later on the power play, Eklund would pick up his second goal of the afternoon, beating Martin with a one-timer at 7.49. 36 seconds later, 8.25. Artini E. Kniza would receive a pass from Jeff Beam and snap a shot past Martin short side to end a nine-game goal drought. On the third round could the power play under the first, Kyle Christian would pick up a pass from Eklund and shoot a no-hesitation shot to, over the left shoulder of Martin at 12.34 to put that at 4-0 to the goods. Second period opens with a near side one-time with CJ Seuss, uh, his fourth goal in his last three games. Canucks would find some life in a, in a minute later, 3.56, when Tristan Nielsen would go 5-0 on Strasman. Tristan Robbins would restore the 5-goal advantage, sweeping in a Jeff Field rebound at 13.54. In the third, Kyra would deflect in a Nielsen shot to give the Canucks uh, their second goal of the game. However, 11.54, 
Danny Lucian would make it seven, a season high seven goals for Barracuda with a high effort goal at going short side to close the score. Eklund finished tonight with, with a team high four points, while Robbins, Pulu, and Rio each finished with three points. Barracuda captain Andrew Gazzino picked up a pair of assists to also finish with a multi point outing. Mans now won three consecutive games, making career high for his seven saves. Martin suffered the loss, allowing seven goals on multiple shots. And then we now go on to the last two games in the month. So this is where I was in San Jose. So February 24, uh, the team was in Ontario. Yeah, the, the rate got their payback. 6-1. The coaches could never get an offence, you know, going, you know, in this game. Um, despite getting win a goal in the third... They fell 6-1 to the Ontario Reign, and that loss ended the Barracuda's uh, winning streak at three games and its point streak at four, uh, if you include the shootout loss to the Wranglers. After the Barracuda failed to score the, the first power play of the game, despite multiple chances off the stick of William Eklund, Jordan Spence opens things up by skating the puck to the net on the right point and beating... Uh, a screen Strassman on the short side at 9.50. There, on its first power play, Ontario would take a 2 0 lead when Allen win swiped in a loose puck from cross from close range after Taylor Ward uh, took it into the net. In the second, the Barracuda outshot Ontario 18 7 um, and, and had the only three power plays in the period, but Chris Coon caught his range 2 0 lead. In the third, that would change when Jeffield jammed in a short handed goal as Matt. Vieta failed to seal the puck under his glove. The Ray would take a two-goal lead back, 7-11, as Jacob Mora sprung some Valerina on a breakaway. Then at 10.53, Mora would wire a one-timer from Martin Stewart past the glove of Mum. Kyle Madden knocked his empty net at 17-11, and he could not would score with two seconds left on the power to secure the six-ball win. Man's winning streak was snapped at three games, as he allowed five goals on rear eight shots, while Vise made 34 stops to make it uh, wins in four straight. And the final game, oh, Premier League 27, oh, so frustrating. We just can't seem to find a way to get over the newbie, we just can't. Overtime loss in Coachella. 4 3, so frustrating. Back her closed out its ball game road trip. Uh, with a 44-3 in overtime in Qatar Valley. <sighs> just so frustrating because they had a lead. We had so many multiple leads at various times. Just, oh. It was not fun for me getting my house high. It really was not. So the first act true was called for interference of, uh, on the power plate. Andrew Gazzino found Kyle Kreisner in the low slot to give the Barracuda a 1-0 lead. In the second, the Barracuda got outshot 90-7 at 10-11. Carson Cherski snatched a shot past Arundel on the blocker side from left wing. In the third, Luke Herman swiped in a Matheson point shot to give Coachella its first lead at 2-1, but 3-11 Thomas Bordeaux wires in a missile pass Chris Drieger from atop the right circle to tie the, the score at 2-2. At 5 2 Jeff Hume slid a breakaway through Drieger's 5 hole, but at 9 Cameron Hughes swiped in a turbo or removed Dell's 5 hole to level the score at 3-3. I know a time Colin with 
scored a shot passed down from the right wing on a two on one. And that still deal for Coachella Valley. Interesting that Chris Drieger was in the net for the Coachella Valley Firebirds. I thought he still had been with a Kraken. That was interesting. As I discovered when obviously they came to us a couple of nights later. But there you go. So that concludes the look. Concludes the, the Barracuda discussion for February. <sighs> up and down, up and down. But at this stage of the day, you kind of need to get a good, solid, consistency and foundation going forward. You know, because we are still in the hunt. We're still there. We are still clinging on. But like I said, we're going to need to have a really, really great March and a really, really good April. And who knows? We just maybe, just maybe clinch that last spot in the Carl Cup playoffs from the Pacific Division. But for now, that concludes this edition of Cooler Corner for the month of February. And we are back, ready to pick up where we left off. Okay, homestand, rest of the way, Nicole's. A first material report, because obviously uh, this return trip was the first time I've been back to Thursday since we launched the podcast. So you're going to get for the very first time on this show, uh, for this second part of the lookbacks and for the first two of the next show, you're going to get actual, actual, raw thoughts from actually being at the game. So we'll see. How that makes a difference, okay? But just two to come before that, though. So, first up, uh, February the 18th. <sighs> Who else was busy watching Stadium Series? Yeah, <laughs> four Sabres, Sharks, two. Uh, not the best start to the host stand. As for most of the contest, it was just simply a case of you know, cat and mouse, you know, both sides. I don't think really ever got a foot in it. Uh, Trading the, the goals, uh, the Sharks getting um, secondary scoring from Ubalante Spetchikov and Alexander Barabarov. Uh, tying uh, the game twice, but it was the third period where the wheels just fell off and Zaze just could not find a way back. February 20th, so this was the matinee, President's Day game. Kraken nothing, Sharks 4, oh wait up with a Kraken! So sometimes it's not how they go in, just as long as they go in. That's a Bible lesson for the young Kraken nation to learn. <laughs> uh, as we saw from Logan Shaw's opening goal there, in what was a, a much more tighter and closer affair between these two sides. Um, However, it exploded in that second period. As for once, Zaze took control of the game, getting further scoring from Ibarjay Spetchikov and uh, Noah Gregor. Uh, each uh, uh, Noah Gregor was in second there, and the goal in the third by Michael Isimon for our first home win against a division rival. This is that was very interesting as I learned throughout the game. Watching the game, it's like, ooh. We've not been a Pacific Twin team on home soil this season. We've come close, but well, there you go. And that could be a big, big, big factor in the Kraken's playoff push. We'll see, we will see. We will see. Then after that, I'm back! Finally, so we'll see these last three games. We will cut, obviously, of the month. I was there for just. Yes! So great to finally get back out there. So, so here we go. 
actual so these three actual authenticity because obviously i actually attend these guys in person so you're gonna get my initial reactions to um record how it was at the games although doing the note taking literally was very very actually quite hard because normally um and this is probably where the time difference actually helps because uh, obviously i get the next day sort of process my thoughts nerving you know catching up depending on the time what time the face off was um i did try when i got back to my hotel to immediately get my thoughts processed and put it down on paper um but for some of them including the two that was in march it actually proved quite, quite tricky i thought actually well do you know what no get a good night's rest sleep it's coming to what the 10 11 o'clock uh, let's try to get to sleep and then process the next day but here we go so february 23rd the first of my se seven draft games so february 23rd nash born to town the only game between these two sides on american soil this season uh prior to six sharks two I feel for this score, the score I just did not reflect the overall result here. You know, Saturday had lots of great scoring opportunities in all three periods. Yes, they only got two on the ball, but they really did pull that net. Um, special teams just let them down in, in a big way as each side traded um, short-handed goals and the Predators even had a power play goal um, as well. As the main highlights for me were kind of Nico Sturm handling the official officials a big bowl of karma because oh my god it was carnage right so now i didn't really properly see it but a prayerless player went down and the referees were, were going to call a, ma a major penalty on nico stern but then it was determined actually well no there was actually no harm no foul so nico stern came out just another classic case of the officials not doing their jobs and he made them pay and the prayerless with a massive goal um and martin uh count I think it is pronounced. He got his first goal as a shark, which actually gave hope very early in that final frame, but just couldn't. Um, but sadly, it fizzled very quickly because Sharks just could not pick up the momentum, uh, momentum there to maybe get. I mean, at that point, you need another one, literally a couple of seconds, minutes after, and just they just couldn't. So February twenty fifth, <sighs> the result. Now, I have said this on the, on the Travel Diary, so if you want to go, so you've not listened or watched it, you can go listen to it um, right now. On the Travel Diary, I did mention that despite the result, okay, which was going to be 4-3 Blackhawks, the shootout, despite the result, you can't actually let that spoil the night because it was a very special occasion. It was a long day. <laughs> oh, boy. It was a really long, long day. Nothing went on time, but there again. Come on, National Hockey League. What would you ex expect? He is a legend. He is a legend. Of course, we were going to let let the ceremony go on for as long as it was going to go on. All right, He was a legend, and he deserved his due. And the batter looks gorgeous in the rafters. It really, it really, really does. Um, Yeah, but full of emotion and just pride to be a shark as we witness history at that tank. Um... And for me to actually be a part of that myself was just so special, so rewarding for all these years of being a supporter of And it's just something I never go Because it's not every day you get to be, I mean, obviously, it's not every day you get to be there for a player's retirement ceremony, but it's not every day you get to be there for the first in your team's history. And that is something special that I am always going to remember forever. It was just such a special, special night. On to the game itself, though. Oh, oh. 
I mean, it was a really, really fast-paced game, you know, the Sharks, and, you know, it got great scoring depth. But what sort of made my blood boil was the skullduggery caused by Chicago with that lastminute.com coach's challenge to Noah Gregor's goal. And that could have made all the difference from this being a shutout loss to potential regulation win. Because what really made... And I am going to do a chill bit on this, but I'm just trying to think how do I work... How do I go about it without it making me look like I'm doing an angry roundabout coach's challenge. Um, there really needs to be... I've noticed it a lot this season. There needs to be a shot clock for how long coaches have to challenge the goals. And I think, because um, our wonderful PA announcer was, was starting to announce the goal... And all of a sudden we have a challenge, like, what? No! No! Drop the puck! Sorry! No, you've had... No, Chicago, you've had your time. Puck's been dropped. Goal's being announced. Move on. But no, having a challenge. And it worked in their favour! It's like... That, for me, could have made all the difference. That really could have made all the difference. It really could. But there needs to be a crackdown on the challenges. And I'm going to do a chill bit on it, but I'm just trying to think, how do I do it? go about doing it without it me sound like an, like an old massive rant? Uh, and um, eventually, um, all our hearts would break in the shootout uh, when Chicago gets the winner. Despite Kappa Kakening having a he had a stern night in the net, and in my opinion, he slipped. Uh, well, those three stars of the game, he really should. He really should. He was brilliant that net. Really kept us in. That's been one of those shootouts. It's a lorry. I hate them, but there is no other way to determine. What do you do if the score still tied in overtime unless the league wants to bring back draws? There's just no way around it, I'm afraid. I really hate shooters, especially for a night like that. But as a whole, it was just so... I'll just say, I'll just say this one more thing. I know I talked about it in detail a lot on the Travel Diary, but I'll just say one more thing. I'm just so honoured and privileged to be able to be a part of that special night, which is absolutely amazing. I'm never going to forget it, despite the score. Okay, so the last game of the month, February 28th, Canadians 3, Sharks 1. Ugh. Right, the Bear team did not win this game. I'm sorry, Montreal, but this is actually one of those times Well, actually, you can't go, well, yeah, we, we, we got, you know, out, we didn't do well. No, 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 we did well. Montreal didn't. Now, of course, this was the first um, game since the blockbuster trade with New Jersey. Um, which saw uh, Team Amaya depart um, for the Devils. Um, do you know what's quite poetic justice about that? Like, kid you not? Um, on the day, because obviously that was a tr- that was a trade made announced before the deadline. This season we've had a, we've had a lot of pre-treadline day trades. You know, there hasn't the trade like wasn't wasn't actually. While I was following on the HR network before heading out to text to you, there actually wasn't that much action going on because a lot of the main action happened pre the trade deadline. And I think going forward, that is something we might see more often. Um, but by catching up, the day this trade was announced, it was literally raining in Zaze. So that's basically a sign of the heavens even saying, yeah, this is not a good move. <laughs> and not many people did like the movie, but it's been made, it's happened, it's gone. And we wish him well with, with the Devils. He actually has actually gone to a good team. If that trade happened this time last year, I would not be saying that. But this year, oh my. I think the Devils might be my pick to win, to do it in the East. 
If someone can maybe take down Boston, it might be New Jersey, and they'll have a good chance now with him in, in, in tow. But anyway, back to this game. So, Jacob and Doyle gets his first goal to Shark, and despite both Netmeyer, so, Kapakakanin for us, Jake Allen for Montreal, um, both Netmeyer had a stair night in nets. <sighs> the wrong team collected them up the points. Montreal weren't even that confident with the puck, um, I mentioned on the trade on the, on the not sorry, not all they said trade there. I, I mentioned it on the uh, travel diary. I was really checking it out. There was one point in the second period where one of Montreal's players looked like they were going to have a great score opportunity, but as it got but as he got towards the net, he was kind of fumbling with the puck. I was like, and then my seat was like, what is that? What's going on here? And oh my! So Montreal they just were not as comfortable with the puck as the scoreline showed, and. If it wasn't for those two breakaways in the third period, I don't think that we would have got to this state. We might have got to 1-1 and then go to overtime, but that would have been because Montreal had to pull that minder and not because we had to. But I, I don't think this would have gone 3-1 if those two breakaways hadn't happened. Because Montreal had two good breakaways and capitalised on both of them. And we just didn't manage the extra attacker that was so all. We pulled him, we pulled Kakanin way too late. And we just fumbled with the puck. We just didn't, we just ma didn't manage it at, at all. Um, the only time Montreal actually were any good was when they were throwing their weight around. Which was not on. I mean, who, and uh, oh my god, their fans were a nightmare. They were not gracious in victory. They really were not. They literally just kept rubbing it in our faces all the way back. Uh to my hotel so they really it was just really, really frustrating okay so those were the three games in february as i mentioned we still got did i say seven sharks games earlier <laughs> oh i'm so sorry oh it's the jet jet lag my jet lag head jet lag head it's the jet lag head sorry so it was seven in total two of them were barracuda five were sharks Sorry, I think I thought. Did I say seven sharks? Hey, that is like, if only. <laughs> sorry, no, sorry, no, no. It was the seven sharks going to the homestand. That is what I meant to say. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. There were seven games in the home of the shark of the sharks in the homestand. I only saw five of them. I was not present for two. Although I would, I would have loved to have been there for Seattle because I don't mind the Kraken, but. Had to make compromises somewhere, and the compromise was I got to see the Kraken's um, AHL team, which I'll tell you more about on the next show. Uh, but less. Uh, I knew it was good. I knew. I knew it was going to happen. The jet lag had. I'm still probably not quite back at in it. No. So there's seven, so seven Sharks home games in that homestand. I was there for five of them. We've got two, and, uh, and I did see seven on my trip. Five were Sharks, two were Barracuda. So those are the first three. The next two I'll talk about on the next show, and of course we've got the two Barracuda games. Which one more in the cooler caller? Right. Okay. Record for this month: three, six, and one. But if I can bring up my uh, logbook, because as you know, this season we like to check to see the terms of competitiveness. Now, maybe those could have maybe been converted into wins. So you guys, bear me two seconds. Oh, it also needs updating. Okay, so uh, 
Spotify. Yes, interest. I think it was this month. Out of uh, six losses. Yeah, I think for this month, out of our six losses, there was only one of them where you could say the Sharks weren't in the game, and that was the first game of my trip. So that was Nashville on February 23rd. Um, although it wasn't until the second period where that all went, fell apart. Um, beforehand, they did really, really well. Um, but the second period is where it kind of, you know, fell apart. Um, but oh, so yeah, uh, so yeah, so that's the lone time this month where the Sharks really um just weren't competitive in the game. But the rest of the time. Uh, they were, and of course, as we know, a couple of those losses uh, were heartbreakers. Like, for example, the Golden Knights won. Oh, we should have got them. We should have got them. We should have got them. That, that was a heartbreaker, and a couple of us just sort of, yeah, yeah. So only one game this this in this part in this past month where the Sharks, you know, just weren't. Idiots, but of course, as we all know, it reflects badly. Uh, regardless, okay, so that leads us to now the highlight and the low point of the month. This might be a bit tricky to do given how, for some of the, the last three, I was actually there. So, do I say I give it the, give the high point to one well, of the games I was there, even though they were losses? Do I have to give it to do I give it to a game that came before I went out? Should I do a low point first and make things easy? Okay, I'll do a low point first. Right, so, okay. Uh, right, got to think back now. Woo! Low point of the month for February. Uh, what could it be? Because um, I think some of you watching, listening at home, you might argue Nashville, but... If you were there, like I was, you could argue, well, actually, it was only one period where they were actually that bad, and it was the period that cost us. So, I don't think I'm going to say Nashville. No, I'm not. I'm not going to say Nashville. I think the low point of the month, I'm going to say... And it's hard, because that was the only loss. If, if, if I wasn't actually at that game against Nashville, I could easily say, well, Nashville, fine, that's a low point. But because I was there, I could actually argue for once. Well, actually, well, yeah, it was a bad scoreline, but actually, no, the effort was there. So, this makes it a whole lot trickier, you think? Um, I'm going to say the low point was the Panthers game on February the 9th. You had a, you had a good start to that game. You were in control for a large portion of it, you even had the opportunity to go for the gamble, so pull the net might whilst on the power play, and you just didn't do it. Uh, so that's going to be the low point of the month for me. Now, high point. I think in this situation, I think it's only fair to pick the high point as one of our games from the, the, the three that I saw in this month. So that's Prayer to Black Horse Canadians. I think that's only fair. I think that's only fair. So, I'm going to say, and I think a lot of people who were there with me for that night will probably agree with this despite the scoreline. Just for the festivities, I'm going to say the high, point, the high point of the month 
was the Blackhawks game February the 25th, despite the scoreline, but for those reasons of the actual one itself, so that's going to be the high end I put them on. This is a lot tricky, doesn't it, to do that section where you've actually been there for a few games? We'll see on the next third, that makes it trickier too, because I was only there for, because, um, I was only in, I was still in there in March for the first two games of the, of, um, of the month, um, mm-hmm, but we'll see, who knows, maybe all the, maybe we've not had nice things because they'll come back and that might make the job easier but we'll see but yeah that section has been a lot trickier or you've actually been to actually something in person anyway but there you go so that concludes the look backs for february and before we go it's time to take a trip down teal lane and uh go and get one mikula jerseys Welcome one all to another exciting edition of Two Lane, which of course is where we get to go down a trip of memory lane across the last five years of the Trouble Podcast and all part of our fifth anniversary season. For the, now of course obviously as I should mention as always, just in case not to, just in case this is the fact that you're watching it by now, uh, or if you're not familiar with it by now, um, we record these as a video segment which also then gets converted to an audio file to accompany that month's edition of the Teleport Podcast. So for those of you who are not li- who are listening on this month's episode, you will not be able to tell that I've come dressed for the occasion. I'm in the back of the jersey today. I finally have some in my wardrobe. I got managed to bag all three Resurgence Era jerseys. They're now all there, going to be in my wardrobe. So for future Teleport bids... You guys to be rocking these bad boys. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm in steel today, but I do, of course, also have ice and blackout. Hog up in my wardrobe, so get down. Okay, so, because the Barracuda is going to be our focus for today, because today we're going to be talking about the uh, development of our Cuda Corner segment and how it has been incorporated in the last couple of seasons of the Terrible Podcast. Because... When we first began the idea for the show, initially it was going to be just sharks. I mean, I've been with, I mean, I've been a shark for fourteen years now. I've been a shark since two thousand and nine, and I wasn't really familiar with the with um, air hockey back then in my early days. It, it, in fact, it wasn't. And I need to look this up because I don't want to get this wrong. It'd be very bad if I got our history wrong. So I'm going to bring this up across reference so it wasn't until the big um pacific division relocation of 2015-16 so in the off season of the of the 2014-15 season the pacific division clubs in the pacific the nhl all decided to relocate their teams to closer to home or in the case of calgary bank um and edmonton because Vancouver weren't involved because they were in a happy situation. But in the case of Calgary, the case of Calgary and Edmonton, on a league on the West Coast. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't during the, the 40 50 season, so it was in January the 29, 2015, uh, the Sharks announced they were moving their air affiliate, who at the time were the Worcester Sharks, 
Was it Worcestershire? No, that's not, that's not story. Not got time to go in that. That's what I call. Um, but they will be moving to Stars Lake, California, as well as the five charter members of the HR's new Pacific Division. Nine course, including the Kings moving there to Ontario, the Ducks moving there to San Diego, the Flames moving there to Stockton, and the Oilers moving there to Bakersfield. They were the five teams that moved there to be experience closer to home. Um, so, yeah, so that's when I got familiar with uh, uh, hockey for oh okay right well okay so if this continues so I kind of felt right well from next season to so the 56 season right no excuses let's get involved so in the course of late for the first wave 15 it was announced our team name the Barracuda and of course um on October 9th 2015 our first official game in Barracuda history took place Taking on the Rockford Ice Hogs on home soil. Okay, so I, so basically what I'm trying to say is I've been with Barracuda since day one, so since the 2015-16 season, and that's been when my first ball with NHL hockey. I've been with it ever since, and over the years I kind of felt NHL hockey is a bit more exciting than the NHL, particularly these last few years during COVID. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so. Amazing about it. and obviously a huge help the Sharks have their their beer in their own barn. Well, in the actually in their own hometown, that's what I'm trying to say, but amazing. Um, yeah, but back to how this, this incorporates zero So, when we first did that at the show, we didn't really think should we, should we, should we not, should we, should we not include the Barracuda. Now, I think because this the idea behind the show was, was new and bold, I think. But season one, we just wanted to, because obviously back in the day with season one, we didn't know if we were going to be, you know, a regular thing. We thought, okay, well, we'll give it a try for this for the 18-19 season. We'll give it a go. If, if, if it goes well, yay. If not, well, we can put it to bed. Um, and being a, another mini-series, you know, for me, I want this to be a proper full of it. But we'll give it a go. Obviously, as you know, we have stuck with it ever since. We are now, obviously, in our, well into our first season by now. We're well, we've now we're now well under our under our feet, um. But surprisingly, and I think probably shockingly, we didn't we weren't really I was caught with the idea for what's in the background until season three, because obviously once we got season two and running, we did, running it was like, Eck, oh I knew there was something I forgot to do. Yep, didn't work. Couldn't work out what to do because I still couldn't work out. Despite giving myself that obviously to be right, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? We've got to include them. We've been supporting them since day one. What do we do? And then, ah, time ran away. Um, and then, of course, as we all know, with season two's disruptions, thanks to COVID, um, it, meant we, it meant we had a very, very long, a, long, a longer off season between season two and season three. So, obviously, as we all know, that, was what we, that really gave me the time to think, right, okay. What could we do as a barracuda? We really want to include them in the show. How do we do it? So, what before we did for season three is we included in Cooler Caller. And what we did was we literally just ran through all the fixtures the barracuda had in that in that month. So, not giving our thoughts on it. Just... A quick we we just wanted, we just wanted a quick short little thing to do because I was because I was by the time because I was going to by the time I got season three 
the episodes started to get longer. So we didn't want to do a full-blown thing because it would take too long. Um, but after season three was progressing, I was thinking, well, this is this is not working. It's me just saying, right, on this day we played, that that team in the school, I just go about, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, this is not working. But by the time we got to the um, the live show, I think was it was April or was it March? I was just thinking, right, right, this is this is really not working. But I don't want to lose this segment. I want this segment to work. I don't want it to be one of those things where, okay, we tried it, and it didn't work, and we've just binned it like with the background music because that really did not work. <laughs> That works for other podcasts I listen to. It just didn't work for our show. But for some people try, but it didn't work. It did not like people with the Barracuda segment. So, and actually, it wasn't until we had our special in that, uh, in the summer, regarding the little mini puzzle. Because you remember, obviously, for the, the season three was the 2020-21 season. That was a short season for both, for both, for both leagues. Uh, I think the NHL only played February to May. And then we, the Pacific Division, played a mini playoff tournament to choose our division champion. We were the, we were the only division that elected to have a playoff tournament to choose our division champion. Everyone thought, well, points percentage has been working well for how many years? Let's just stick to that. <laughs> but yeah, but the East, North, Central, all thought, well, they all decided, right, we'll just stick to points percentage. But we, Pacific, thought, well, no, come on. We can get a few more in. No, because these players can... It's not going to harm our players. The more, more games they get on their belt, the better prepared they'll be when they finally get to make it with big boys. So, no, let's play playoffs! Hey! Okay, it's a division playoffs, but hey! We'll take it. And it still counts on our record for qualifying, so... Hey! So that technically meant our playoff streak didn't get broken until last season. So, uh, hey, not bad. Um, so in that sp- special we did regarding that, divi- divi- that division playoff tournament, we called the whole bit. So our so the the the, the playing which we had to win to get in because we came fourth in the division and it was only the top three that automatically got through. As we played up, won out right, and then we did the whole of our semi against Henderson. We did the whole of the other semi between Bakersfield and San Diego. Then obviously we did the final between Bakersfield and, and Henderson. And what we did for that was we just went through the match reports. So that was where it got me thinking. Oh, okay. I think we've solved the problem. I think I think I have because when we did that that special for the for the plus one. It worked a lot better. It was more flow-free. It worked a lot better. I kind of thought, oh, okay, this is not boring, repetitive, or tedious. Or it, it, it was workable. Okay, so could we do that with the, the whole Barcona season? I think we could. So last season, so season four, that's what we did. We expanded the Cooler Corner section further. And so basically, we take the Barcona match reports and just read them out in full. And it actually proved to what it made the whole segment better. It made it better because it didn't just feel like just like a quick thing to just sort of rush through to just, just say we've done something for the Barracuda. It, the, it it felt like more enjoyable. Certainly, more it was more enjoyable to do. It felt more engaging, more flow free, and you just felt the, and the tone between my voice between 
what we did in for season three and for season four was a whole lot better. And obviously, going forward with this season, it's, it's even more better. So I do, and for me, I've now loved doing the core section more than I did when we, when we first did season three. But this is a thing with our show. We always have to try and go with the basic idea. We always, whenever we're coming up with new ideas for new segments, we always think, right, let's out, let's just outline as a basic idea, okay, to try it. Let's run it like that. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, we can, we can go, we then take it to the drawing board and go, right, can we fix it or do we have to be it? And thankfully, we had, we were able to fix it. Fix it we did and incorporate it we have. It's just great because I really wanted to, since the first season, wanted to have the Barracuda involved. It's just, didn't know at the time, because we're still new, we're still getting the idea of what the show's going to be and everything didn't work out what to do with it but by the time we got to season three we had an idea let's roll with the initial idea if it works yay if not we'll try and see if we can change it in the off season it'll, be, it'll work out fine and thank god it has because since being bold for the edge oh, since the barracuda's very first day so that is also october 9 2015 i thought the nhl hockey is so much more better than the nhl and it's more, it's so much more exciting. It's, it's so much more geographical based. So you really, so the HR really does put, make, consider geography into account when working a schedule. So you, so you don't have, to have massive, massive trouble like you do in the HR. And it's just so much more exciting. Okay, you may only get, end up seeing the teenager playing division every single year. With the one or two exceptions. Um, but those have shrunk more since COVID. I think with pre-COVID, we got more variety in terms of who we played outside of the division. But since COVID, it's only been reduced to just Texas. And then this season, Iowa. So, Iowa's bit and Texas will have both come to Texas Arena. But, um, no, but, yeah. but I think I do remember before COVID, it, it, what, there was more variety in who you saw outside your division but since covid that's kind of been more restricted so we only really see two other teams now outside of our uh, division uh, which is texas which is dallas stars affiliate and iowa who are the minnesota wilds affiliate but it's okay it's fine because i don't think in our division there's anybody i can read that i look at and think oh god i hate it's fine so that's good. That makes me more better. <laughs> Give me a few more years, then I'll go, right, I don't like them anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we're all friendly and our business is great, it's fine. And we are very excited to be in the position, it's really good. But yes, yeah. So in terms of the Kuga core section, it worked a lot better when we refined it for season four. It worked so much better and it just, it's amazing. So it gives me an opportunity to have the Barracuda involved in the show, so we've got the whole Zaz Hockey covered. It's an opportunity to, to take a breather from what's been going on in the AHL and get the AHL involved because I feel the AHL is much more present than the AHL is these days. Um, so yeah, so it's just an amazing thing to have them involved. So it's great to have them involved and it's just amazing. Um, yeah, so and thanks, and that playoff special, if that didn't, if we had decided, right, we'll just do a We'll just let point percentage decide who gets our division title. So that would have been Henderson. Then 
probably this section might have been getting scrapped because that player special then wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't have done the way we did for that player special and then we wouldn't have gone, okay, let's head out for the whole section as a whole. So, thank God we decided, well, actually, um, no, we think our players could do with a couple more games, you know. Because at the end of the day, the idea is that they are supposed to be here developing their skills, ready to then one day make that next step with the big boys. So, do you know what? Uh, no, we are going to play more games. Yes, there's still COVID! And yes, it might be tricky for you to schedule the, the people who make the schedules, but we want more games, so thank God our division said yes to doing a playoff tournament to crown our division champion for that shortened 2021 season. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had a playoff special to do for that, with, with that, and it meant we wouldn't have had the opportunity to test drive the new format for Kuda Corner, so we could then implement it for season 4. Because God knows what would have happened if that didn't happen. The whole thing might have got binged as a whole. And that wouldn't have been good. Because, like, well, what are we going to do now? <laughs> so, thank God for that. What a few nice things to come out of COVID. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Don't go, don't go there, don't go there. <laughs> Heather said, but don't for the same. Because, because obviously for them, it meant they didn't win the division. But, ha ha! Ha ha! You've got to learn the hard way, Henderson. Success does not come easily. You've got to learn the hard way. Unlike Carl Coachella, he's going to be a marvellous time! <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Take, 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 take a look at the notes of Abbott Spud's books, Henderson. <laughs> uh, but yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, so. It's amazing, isn't it? It's just so, so, I'm just so great I might finally get that refined here because I've been wise to do something with the Bowman Barracuda since day one. It's just we couldn't work out what to do because we didn't really know how far we were going to take... Because at the time of season one, we didn't know how far we were going to take this. We thought, okay, we'll see how it goes for this season. If it works, yay. If not, well, we can say, well, it was another great idea to do, but just fortunately it didn't work out. But, no, here we are, five years down the line, still going strong, and we now finally can say the Barracuda now have a very, have their very own place on the show and have a segment that I could be proud of to have produced, because, let me tell you, season three, it just wasn't working. And I think I, and I knew why from the get-go, but it was like, well, it's only a very short season. I mean, how many games did we play that year? Did we, the, the, specific, the specific play? Because I think it was, because obviously in that season, everybody played different games. And of course, COVID also came as well. I, th I think, were we supposed to play? <sighs> it was confusing. Were we supposed to play 48? Or something like that? Because before this season, the Pacific Division normally played 68 games. Um. But of course, obviously, now we play 72 because everybody now plays 72 as the league as a whole. But in that short 2021 20, season, I'm, I'm going to look it up. Um, it, was a, it was a shortened season. Uh, not everybody chose to play. And. Um, yeah. Um, 
I just, I, I just, how many were we supposed to play? This might be tricky to look up. Because actually, in that 2020, not everybody got to play a full set of games because COVID happened. Because COVID really. It was a lot harder for the AHL than it was for the AHL. Um, but uh, we only play a total of 30. What was it, what was it now? 36. Um. San Diego played the most out of us in that scene. They played 44. So maybe we were only supposed to play 44. Or was it 48? It was 40. It was in that mid, late mid 40s. But. 40s. But yeah. Um, but, uh, but if you look at the stat standings for that season. You not. Nobody played a full set of games. Because COVID really. Really impacted that shortened season. And there was nothing, nothing you could do. You had to. You just. If your game got. If your game couldn't go ahead because of COVID. Well. It was just a scratch. You, there was no room to do a makeup day like you normally would. It just didn't work. But yeah, so but yeah. Uh, but there you go. So but yeah, but the Jericho was we got we Argentine division chose to play a power tournament. And that meant we got obviously do a special and we refined it. Yeah. I would love to do a special where we had about could playoffs. So I think if the back of the to do clinch for the player, talk, talk, for the Carl Cup players, what we would do is we would do a spe special at the end of the season, re recapping it as a whole. So now, of course, the, the first, the only opportunity to have done that so far, apart from 2021, would have been our first season in the 1819, because that's the last time we qualified for the Calder Cup playoffs. Because obviously in 2021 it was the Pacific Division playoffs. That's what we're as it was unofficially known as. <laughs> but yeah, so... Yeah, so... So, so if Barakadova do clinch a playoff for the future, we will do a, do a special episode at the end of the season, recapping it as a whole. Um, that's what we'll do. Um, but yeah, so we'll wait for that. So, we already have, so technically, we already have done it once, but for the division playoff, not the Carl Cup playoffs, but... Yeah. But yeah, just so great to find, because I just love the Barakadova as much as the Sharks, and... The Barracuda is even more special though because I've been involved with them since the very, very beginning. Because obviously the Sharks have been around way before I was born. The Sharks, because obviously I was born in 1996, November of 1996. Sharks began playing at the October 1991. So there's a five year gap. Um, but with the Barracuda, I've been with them since day one. And I can't believe they're nearly 10 years old. Wow! Their 10 anniversary is fastly approaching. Can't believe that. Wow. Um, yeah, but with the Barracuda, it's even more special because I've been with them since day one. And that's amazing when you get to be part of something from the very first day. Absolutely amazing. So, And obviously, their journey now is even more, is more special because they've literally just grown. And they now have their own place of their own. This is so lovely. And I've been to Texas now. It's absolutely gorgeous. Get yourselves down there to the Barracuda again. It's absolutely gorgeous. But, yeah. but in terms of the show, it took me. It was not easy. It was not easy to try and get a second in for the Barracuda. It took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of fine tuning. But oh boy, were we determined we were going to get there. And get there, we did. And thankfully, we now have something that works. Something that easily slots into the show quite brilliantly. And it's something we're going to keep going on for many, many, many seasons to come.
Thank you for joining us for another exciting edition of Two Report, brought to you by Spotify for Podcasters. Don't forget you can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. To find out where we're distributed, visit our public page at podcasters.spotify.com forward slash pod forward slash low forward slash tearapport. And don't forget you can get in touch with the show with all your thoughts and all things sharks and the NHL in general. Email us at tearapportpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, dear listeners, and we could read out your thoughts on a future edition of the show. And to catch up on all of the latest Tear Report bids, head over and subscribe to the official George Han YouTube channel. And, well, if you love the show that much, can I recommend that you give us a five-star rating and write us a love review to help more people discover our wonderful show. Well, until next time, also for me to say it, and so I'll leave you now. <laughs>